And one of them early in my career was Deming, the father of process improvement, optimization, highest and best use theory. The, the, the delusion is that we've taken anything to its fullest level of development, performance, optimization. So the first thing is always question yourself. Don't think that whatever you've done is anywhere close to all you can do. And even if you've taken all you can do today, the odds are high that some alternative, some breakthrough will happen tomorrow. So you got to keep uh, being, mo you know, monitoring the audience. Hey, everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean and Lacey with you here, just as we are each and every week. Today, on this particular episode, we have a super special guest, someone that is super near and dear to us, someone who is indirectly at first, but later on in life, directly responsible for an awful lot, the lion's share of our success in business and um, in fin our financial success. He's been a tremendous inspiration and mentor. And so I'm super excited to be sharing with you guys um, someone that we've been working with for many, many years. It was always sort of a dream of mine. And we, um, we had to acquire a certain level of financial means to be able to pull the trigger. But we always talk about that as a critical part of our story, that you have to be able to um, find great mentorship. You must be willing, if you see value, you must be willing to compensate that um, mentorship and advice. You're paying the dummy tax. And I'm not saying that this individual is a dummy, but no. he has a breadth of experience um, that is absolutely incredible. Um, we know that our listeners service providers looking to reach more people, make a bigger impact, and to create the lifestyle that you deserve. And I can think of no better individual to just come and share his wisdom with than Jay Abraham. And we want to welcome Jay to the podcast. Let's bring Jay up if you're watching on video. Um, Jay, I'm, I'm digging the longer hair that you're rocking these days. I know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As I got older, I thought, you know, my hair turned gray, and I always got it cropped short, and I thought, what the heck? I'm going to see how long it'll go before it looks seedy. It doesn't look quite seedy. It probably need a little trim, but I like it longer, and uh, people look at me a little differently, not necessarily more, more respectfully, a little bit askance, but I like it. Thank you. <laughs> so for someone whose mind is constantly working, I don't know how you um, sleep because your, your mind is just constantly churning. You um, put out a ton of content constantly. You're constantly delivering content. Almost all of it, 99% of it it's is free, free yes. which is absolutely incredible from a giving and, a, and a adding value and contributing value to the world standpoint. And you have so much cool stuff. I mean, we could literally just fill up hours. But right now, we're super excited about this Meinstein. Mm -hmm. This idea of sort of tapping into um, 
the the life and times and personality and persona of Albert Einstein and the lessons that we can learn and extrapolate into business. Let's start first by asking you, how did this even come to be? Were you, were you reading about quantum physics one day or how did we get on Einstein? Well, I mean, uh, ironically, indirectly, yes, there's a parallel path that got this. And it's pretty interesting. So I have a client who happens to also be the world, or at least North America's preeminent, uh, <clears throat> preeminent Chinese energy doctor. And he's also an allopathic doctor. And he's constantly talking about the fact that everything is physics. You expand, you contract. You expand, you contract. Then I was, every year I do a full day together with Tony Robbins at his, uh, at his ra rather impressive studio that can do 4,000 people uh, Zoom on, one, on two screens front and back. And every year I do his high-end group, his $85,000 and his $150,000 Platinum Partners and Lions members. And there's a lot of pressure on me to one-up what I did the previous year. And the previous year, I introduced a thesis called How to Take Your Business Profits Beyond Exponential. It was very well received, and uh, it had a great impact. This year, I thought about it, and I actually enhanced that. and We added about 40% more methodology to it. But I thought, what's the real denominator between outrageous achievement, creative achievement, breakthrough achievement, nonlinear achievement, and mediocrity. And I'm starting to think, what's a good metaphor that if I can project that imagery in somebody's mind and I can uh, deconstruct it in a way that is no longer thought of as unassailable and un unachievable, maybe I can help people get their minds in gear because my methodology is infallible, but you have to be willing to embrace it. You have to be willing to think differently, nonlinear. And so I thought, who, who represents in all of history the quintessential personification of that? And it was Einstein. So then I thought, okay, I'm giving you more answer than you guys want. But I thought, okay, what is it about him that made him so outrageously creative, productive, uh, prolific, prodigious, expansive, and I didn't have the wherewithal through divine intervention to get the answer, so I researched it. And here's what I found. And this is what's very liberating. If mindset is the driver of super achievement, which I think it is, because nobody has uh, that much more resource, nobody has more than 24-7, then, then what are the denominators? Well, I looked it up and there's about 10 skills that Einstein, Einstein possessed, only one of which was his intellect. So if you think I can't be an Einstein because I don't have whatever he had, 180 or 200 IQ, that was only one tenth. Nine other factors were the denominators. Now I'm gonna do myself a little bit of a disservice, but you have my notes. I only did this one time and I don't have it memorized yet, but first thing he was hopelessly curious. He was interested in everything. He was fascinated by everybody. And that's very much what has denominated my life. 
I think my skill set, uh, Sean and Lacey, is because I have traveled amongst a thousand industries. I've gone out of my way to try to understand how almost everything works, businesses, roles, jobs, how they build things, how people strategize, think. My current one is trying to figure out how they make movies and who figures out the macro and how they reverse engineer it and how they figure how to make a fight scene work and a fall scene work and, uh, you know, a car scene work and, and, and explosions work. I want to figure out the kind of mind that can put all that together. But Einstein was like that. He was so in, insatiably curious. So the first thing is you want to be insatiably curious. If you look at where great breakthroughs come from, Sean and Lacey, they really do not typically come from within an industry. Cases in point, fiber optics, anybody my age or a little bit younger that knows anything about telecommunications knows that fiber optics totally transformed that industry. But what they don't know is it was not created, developed, or given birth to in telecommunications. It came from aerospace. Somebody realized it could be appropriated. It could be borrowed. It could be translated. It could be extrapolated. And that's how it changed the whole Wi-Fi, cell phone, everything. Um, Federal Express, they created an entire industry. Now even UPS, DHL, all, all those airborne, all those companies who do overnight give thanks not to Federal Express, but to the Federal Reserve Bank, who created what's called the hub and spoke check clearing system so that checks cleared first thing in the morning and people couldn't bounce a check. That became the same system that Fred Smith used to introduce and create a whole industry, hub and spoke. They go to Memphis and then they're put out wherever they need to go so that they get delivered at 10 or before the next day. Uh, Viagra didn't come from research and sexuality. It was a heart, a heart drug that they saw. It had a very interesting byproduct uh, effect. Uh, Rogaine came from pimples, uh, the ballpoint pen, or the roll-on deodorant. I think it was roll-on deodorant came from the ballpoint pen. 3M created uh, a significant division in infection protection by modeling how makeup artists protect the faces and the bodies of actors when they have to wear makeup all day long. The largest, I don't remember the name of it, the largest baby stroller company borrowed the collapsible uh, wheels from airplanes. One of the fastest growing uh, sushi uh, franchise restaurants used the carousel that a baggage claim uh, a part of an airport uses. Uh, the most successful company in protective gear for knees, for roofers, carpenters borrowed the, the padding from skateboarding. So the point is you want to develop what I call funnel vision. And that was my accidental discovery you know, 40 some years ago because I jumped around amongst a lot of industries and I realized that people in one industry had no idea how people in another do. So the first thing is hopeless curiosity. You came back on. You want to ask me a question? 
Well, no, I'm just going to yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, lay out because I do have the notes. <laughs> I have the first of all, we have four keys to Albert Einstein's success: unimaginatively inquisitive, intelligent, and tenaciously solve problems highly logical intelligence and gain knowledge through more studying and investigation than others were willing to do. Now, what I will find, or I will throw in here, um, and it's not just, you know, a, a, a self-indulging compliment to Jay, but if you've ever been in a mastermind or a consultative experience with Jay, I mean, those are the very same tenets, right? You know, through through Jay's consultative um, questioning, he's able to um, bring out and elucidate problems, and then add in you know some some pretty creative problem solvings, like he was mentioning. My favorite Jay is the um, the drive through at the fast food restaurants that came from the banks, yep. right? And, and the restaurants seeing that the banks had. Um, created this efficiency and figured they could deliver food this way. I'll give you uh, the first two of the strengths that you mentioned in your notes, and then I'll turn it back to you. Albert Einstein's um, 10 strengths, number one and number two, are his imagination and always questioning. So how would we, I mean, I, and you mentioned that, Jay, always uh, curious, right? Mm -hmm. Like just always sitting there and using imagination to, to solve complex problems. Um, and always questioning how can we utilize those um, attributes in our business to help us to grow um, and add more revenue, reduce expense, and increase profit. Well, let's 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 talk about being inquisitive. I was very blessed. I've helped lots of experts, and one of them early in my career was Deming, the father of process improvement optimization, highest and best use theory. The, the, the delusion is that we've taken anything to its fullest level of development, performance, optimization. So the first thing is always question yourself. Don't think that whatever you've done is anywhere close to all you can do. And even if you've taken all you can do today, the odds are high that some alternative, some breakthrough will happen tomorrow. So you got to keep uh, being mo you know, monitoring the audience. As far as his questioning, which is fabulous. So, by the way, he he would look at everything and just, you know, and 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 uh, and always say, well, how much better could it be? How much easier could it be? How much, uh, you know, faster, safer, whatever it would be. As far as problem solving, his gift was he would spend ninety five percent of the time trying to understand the problem, not the solution. Because as he broke the problem down and deconstructed it, he would simplify it, understand it, and the answer would come. One of the things I think it's not in this, in this collection, but there's a famous book that I read when I was very young, a little book. It's called A Technique for, for Creating Ideas. It's by somebody named James Webb Young. He used to run uh, J. Walter Thompson when it was the largest ad agency in the world. And he was always asked by everybody to come up with creative ideas to engineer sales and marketing and, and uh, competitive breakthroughs. And he did it all the time. And somebody said, well, why don't you just tell us how you do it? And he realized you break it down to a few points. First of all is recognition that your mind is designed to do two things solve problems and and uh, make opportunities possible. But it can't do that unless, first of all, it knows what its job is. So you can't solve a problem if you don't know what it is. You gotta command it to do that. 
then the way to do it, according to James uh, Webb Young, and it's what I do, and it works pretty damn well, is you're clear on the problem you're trying to solve and why. If you don't know the why, you're never going to get to the answer. The why may be a dumb answer. It may be that there's another reason to solve it or it's not worth solving. But once you get the problem, opportunity, and the why, then you study everything you can possibly intake on that topic. Then you stop. And then this is the key. You take in everything you can on everything you can because your mind has the incredible ability to combine things, to, to slice and dice and create a kaleidoscopic set of combinations. And then when that happens, you do nothing, you know, uh, evolve, and then you're ready. You're always ready because the answer, the solution, the, the strategy will come to you in, inordinately, but it will never come during when you're sitting at your desk with your pad. It'll come when you're in the shower, sitting on the toilet, in the middle of the bed, driving down the street. So always be ready to capture it and make it a prisoner forever, whether it's a recording device, whatever you use, and then reflect on it the next or the next day, because sometimes the greatest sounding ideas today aren't that good tomorrow. But so Einstein was great about something else. He, he would literally look at everything and look at what's right about it, what's wrong about it, what could be different about it, why. And, and most people aren't trained to ask great questions. One of the things that I think is really a great attribute for super, super growth-oriented entrepreneurs is the ability to ask Socratic questions. I think I've gotten very good at it when I'm on the, the, the side of the desk that you're, you guys are on. And the better, I mean, the, the Tony Robbins said it, guys, the quality of the questions you ask and the answers you receive determines the quality of the results you produce. Anyhow, those are my two little, um, little answers to those first two. I love that. Um, and one of, one of the Jay Abraham axioms that we have learned is optimize first then, and then innovate, innovate. Yes. Um, you know, getting everything you can out of all you've got, right? Just the, the, if you do not have the book, the book that Jay has written, fantastic book, but so many people skip that part. They, they just jump to innovate. Right. Well, and it makes me think about most business owners, much like Jay was talking about, is they're always out there looking for the solution and they don't fully understand the problem. And that's why a lot of times people invest in things that look like a solution for their problem. And they say, well, why didn't this work for me the way that it did for somebody else? And it's because they haven't clearly identified exactly what the problem is. So spending more time on your problems in your business will yeah. help you actually get better solutions. So yeah. the next two are old problems. Number three is old problems inspired new ways of thinking. And number four is intuition, Jay. Okay, so he trusted his intuition. Let's go reverse it. He trusted his intuition. And I've studied a lot of things about intuition. And almost everybody who was great at ideating trusted their intuition. And even if it failed them occasionally, they didn't, they didn't throw it out, the baby in the bathwater. But you can't trust your intu intuition is partially innate, but it's partially empirically based. So the more experiences you have, the more observations you have, 
the broader your referential capabilities by studying all kinds of things outside your comfort zone, the more fuel you've given to supercharge the accuracy and the um, and the expansive capability of your intuition to forge and then furnish you with great answers. So that's the first one. Remind me again, because I made ED. What was the other one? Old problems inspired new ways of thinking. So think about this. Uh, and, and this is, it's, it's true right now, and we can think about it in our lives. The problem or the opportunity somebody wants to solve may be singular. But if you think about it, there are an infinite way number of methods to do it. If somebody wants more financial security, they have options. They can get career uh, enhancement, so they get promotions. They can change jobs, so they get better growth and, and salary. They can buy a franchise. We were just talking about that. They can start a business. They can invest in stocks, bonds. They can buy rental homes, all to get to the same answer, right? So it, it, is, it is illogical to think that any problem or opportunity potential is only achievable by one path. And he knew that inherently. And again, I'm very blessed, and it's a little bit of a, a probably intimidating. I have done a thousand industries, and with great pride, I've probably... Uh, tried to understand 10,000 different facets of life. I'm not deep on a lot of things, but there's a book everybody should read. It's called Range, R-A-N-G-E. And it's by, I can't remember his first name, but it's Epstein. And it analyzes and advocates that today, specialization, while very valuable, is also a limitation because you're not as prepared to handle the dynamism that are very fast changing, ultra competitive, uh, you know, uh, psychologically dynamic uh, world requires. And the more expansive understanding you have of everything, the more you're able to draw from all those understandings and experiences to apply to whatever you're dealing with in your career. So I don't know if that answers it well enough or I, you want me to go deeper? Is that okay? No, that's that's great because we also have some some questions not related to Meinstein. I want to make sure that we cover. But these are my two favorite strengths because, Jay, I'm really good at these. <laughs> number five, number five is strong, positive attitude. And number six is naps. He's really good at that. I'm great really at great that. At that. <laughs> he, he, so first of all, he had an, an un- an unquenchable optimism, positivity, belief in his ability to come up with solutions, faith in humanity, love for uh, everybody, a sense that almost everybody has and deserves dignity, relevancy, significance, irrespective of their circumstance or stature. And he took constant naps. I don't think they were long. I can't remember if they were... 10 minute naps, but he took them constantly and it reinvigorated him. I think we think that just working in, you know, insatiably for 15 hours straight is really going to accomplish a lot. It really is very counterproductive. So is, by the way, it's not in this list, 
but multitasking doesn't exist. Uh, one of my good friends is the number one uh, expert in the world on constraint theory. And he's got uh, an exercise where he shows that if you have 80% of your day is already commit consumed and you have a one day project, it'll take you five days to do. And if you try to do 10 things and each one requires, and I can't remember the time, but he shows that it'll take 30 or 60 days to finish it. And the first one will only be done a little bit shorter. And he analyzes the lost opportunity cost, revenue, capability. And so I, I'm very focused on those kind of things. Let's take a pause there, um, if you don't mind, to dive into you for a second. Because one of the things that um, I also learned a lot, I mean, and I've, I've literally taken this to heart. And it wasn't a piece of advice that you gave me directly. But you, you know, this this word, and I don't I don't love the word, but this word self-care. Everybody talks about self-care. And like you said, you can't work 15-hour days, seven days a week. You must take some time for yourself. But you are also very conscious of taking care of your health, your physical body. And, and you know, much like you hear about LeBron James spending a million dollars a year to keep himself in, in good physical shape so that he can perform. Likewise, in your job, it's super important that you are able to perform at your highest level. What are some of the things that you do? Because everybody wants to be just like Jay. What are some of the things that you do so that people are able to maintain that level of productivity well into the later parts of their life so that they can be making tons of money and helping tons of people later in their career after maybe they've burned the candle at both ends for a while? Uh, okay, well... I mean, I do certain things that are invasive, and I can talk about those. I mean, I get shots that are predecessors to stem cells, and they're very expensive, and I've been getting them two, three times a month for 10 years. I have done stem cells. In fact, I did some a couple of uh, days ago. I, uh, I don't work in I work long hours but I'll stop in the middle of the day I I laugh all the time mm -hmm. I I don't I, I'm not very stressed I used to be but very little stresses me we have uh, somebody who owes me a half a million dollars and I don't think I'm gonna get it and everyone's worried and I'm thinking okay so what we can make it back and and I learned to have a great and I love human beings I just enjoy that I take time to do nothing. I watch, I mean, this is not something that maybe you, you would do, but my wife doesn't like it. I watch old, old uh, black and white movies and classic movies all the time. And I try to reflect on them and I relax. I spend a lot of time trying to, to, to get to know people who have all kinds of different worldviews, not always similar to mine, different experts, different people with different hobbies, different people of different walks of life. I, uh, I don't eat, you know, except for when I drink, which I'm not drinking right now. I don't eat sweets. I don't eat a lot of carbs other than pasta and, and crusty bread. My wife <laughs> is fabulous, a fabulous cook. So we, we eat, you know, we eat fresh food most of the time. I don't eat a lot of beef. Uh, I take a reasonable amount of 
nutrients, but nothing really, you know, exceptional. I I just have a good time. I mean, I'm a little boy and I, I don't mind indulging. I have fun cars I like. I have, you know, I'll take time out and, you know, and play with the dogs. I I get up in the morning for an hour and I sit outside. You've been in my house. Not the most spectacular house, but a very interesting house. And I'll sit in the backyard or go up to where we have a stream. You know, there's just an enormous amount of of uh, greenery and it looks like a little forest. And I'll let the oxygen it, it just embrace me. I do a little bit of exercise, nothing like I should. I'm struggling with my weight right now and I'm trying to get rid of a lot of this, so but but I I do a half hour to an hour of something intense every day just to keep balanced. I start my day by uh, seeing what the world is is doing, and I I'm open minded. Um, I mean I don't know. I mean it's I, I just I I feel very. I, I think part of it is attitudinal, guys. I came from very humble background. No one in my family ever accomplished anything uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a really significant amount, although they were really great character values. My father in, in, uh, fused and imbued us with the respect for everybody. If my father found a $5 bill on the sidewalk on a, on a street, he'd knock on every door. He would never take it to see who lost it because he was aware that it was precious to people, but I've had a stellar life. I've been around the world 80 times, first class with my family, stayed in, you know, in the, you know, the equivalent of the presidential suite, get, you know, been paid $5,000 a day expense along with the six figure fee, had two, you know, two uh, massage uh, therapist assigned to me every day for five hours and not paid a cent for it. And I mean, I've had a pretty good life. I, you've seen the cars I drive. I just had somebody send me as a, a gift, a brand new Acura NSX, which is, I mean, I feel like, wow, uh, this is cool. I wake up, you know, I have a very nice house. I have inspiring art. I have very nice children with good values. None of them had any, you know, profound adversities, health or conduct-wise, in their life. I have uh, wonderful friends. I have uh, really wonderfully qualitative clients. Most of the people who are attracted to me aren't always the highest performers, but they have very high performance um, prejudice in their life, and they're they're monsters of execution. But they all are intent or or latently trying to be huge value creators. So I don't deal with slime or or scurvy or or sleazy. <laughs> so everybody I deal with is the is the highest in their relative category. I get to interact. I've been you know I've helped two hundred experts and I learned all their expertise. People like. Stephen R. Covey was a friend of mine. I was at Tony Robbins' house uh, last Tuesday for three hours in his basement. He's got a huge slide to slide in. He's got a for a real Ferrari he had deconstructed and reassembled in his basement. And, and I got, I mean, and I got to talk about philosophy, investment, uh, society, geopolitics. 
I have a, a good friend with who's one of the he, he's one of the top uh, uh, hedge fund guys in the world, and he puts on the top hedge fund uh, conference every year. Christy and I, my wife, get to go as his guest and hang out with billionaires. I mean, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> and it shows. I, I got to tell you too, what we learned a lot from you kind of watching just the things that you do for yourself and, and what you have done to maintain, like Sean said, your level of productivity. And so we ourselves have started down that journey of really making sure that we do this self-care, quote unquote. But my favorite thing that we learned was every time after we travel, we go and get a massage. That radically shifted how we felt after giving so much energetically through travel and you know intellectually through the people that we were serving when we were away. That made a big difference. Well, I haven't gotten to the forehand no, two-hour massage. No, we never had massage. the two, yeah, like, forehanded two people <laughs> massage before, but someday, actually, someday. It's quite wonderful. Well, <laughs> at my peak every week, I would get four massages a week and three acupuncture treatments. Mm -hmm. My wife thought, you, you know my wife, she thought it was crazy, indulgence, what's going on? But truthfully, I need that, I, I, I can, I'm one person, I, this is gonna sound terrible. I was, in, uh, I was in Bali once and I set the record. I had a seven hour massage and, <sighs> it, was, and it was wonderful. I can lie on a, uh, on a, a table or on a bed and, and roll over like a, a pig on a spit <laughs> and I relax, and I think, and I can decompress. And I think the problem, people, I mean, your body takes a toll, your mind takes a toll. I mean, part of growth is regeneration. Mm. Part, you know, I mean, preventative maintenance is inherent in equipment, in automobiles, in airplanes, but we don't really do a lot of it for ourselves. We just go on and on until something breaks down. A small, ever-growing segment are into longevity and wellness, but it's small. But I think that I believe that if this is driving, you know, not just millions of dollars for myself, but hundreds or millions or billions for my clients, I better keep it working. And this, you know, the mind-body connection, mind body connection you know that from chiropractic but mm -hmm. i just believe i had a massage last night i'm probably going to get acupuncture or massage tomorrow night uh and and i have no embarrassment or think it's indulgent i think the more you care and if you can't afford it you know do something equivalent you know get a massage chair or get a massage pad but let yourself totally turn off and I think also, very honestly, sleep. You have to have, and I'm not, I'm getting better at it. Since I stopped drinking, I'm a lot better at it. I haven't lost any weight yet, and I'm waiting for it to all fall off. But <laughs> I think we need quality sleep, not just for, you know, so we don't have heart attacks and our body doesn't break down, but so our brain can recycle. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that. And you know, and I think that a lot of it comes from your mindset. I mean, this is the Einstein mindset we're talking about. But if you don't love humankind, then you start out negative. I have a really interesting philosophy, and, and this is appropriate. It's not in here. But I believe that every one of us in business particularly, we're human hedge funds, but we don't know it. 
if you understand a hedge fund, guys, a hedge fund has a portfolio of investment classes that they that they they put into their portfolio, and they are based on um, on risk, reward, volatility, and the goal is to get alpha, which is performance above and beyond the norm. But most of us don't know where we're allocating our resources, and our resources in business can be focus, time, media types of buyers, because all buyers aren't the same, um, you know, d- growth and development. Most of us don't really try to grow and develop our team, which is ludicrous because most people don't know it. You only get about 20% of the capacity your team has to perform, produce, but it's not their fault. They don't know how to do it. And if you're not invested in growing, developing them on any of about 50 different soft skills, you lose out. I'm very aware of that, not because I'm that bright, but I've been exposed to so many brighter than I, and I've retained this much, but I've, you know, I put it all together into a really cool fabric of understanding and I, you know, I try to live it. And, and also I think you, you've been to my house. I have a very nice house, but it's nothing compared, you know, uh, you know, one of our I think you know uh, the guy that is is in. I won't won't mention his name or his business, but is in a business that helps people uh, in in uh, you know in get out of a certain problem. And we got him a huge success, and he, he bought a magnificent. I don't know, probably a you know twenty thousand square foot house. My house is very nice, and when I bought it, I could have bought one three times as expensive in a much nicer part of town. But I realize there's always going to be somebody that has uh, more money, uh, a bigger house, more toys, prettier wife or handsomer husband, more, you know, more prestige. If you try to beat them or win just to be the best, you'll never ever be happy. So you better be happy wherever you are in life because life, is about the process. It's not about the end product. Because usually, I mean, I couldn't wait. This guy, I, I got this guy to send me a $204,000 brand new NSX. And if you know what it is, it's fun as can be. It's got three electric motors and two by, it's by turbo six. And it's and it's got nine gears. It goes, rah, 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 and it looks like a Ferrari. I couldn't wait to get it. And I've driven it about four times because nothing material will really, it, it won't transform your life. Mm-hmm. It'll give you, uh, a, a, you know, the way a cup of coffee first thing in the morning gives you a jolt, but then, it, you know, the day goes on. So you better like yourself. You better like humanity. You better enjoy the process. And even setbacks aren't permanent. And it's one of the Einstein. He did, he would try a lot of cool things. He was, he was smart enough to not dissipate a fortune. He did him, he did him uh, safely, but he didn't care if he failed because he knew that failure is not permanent and failure teaches you what not to do and it, and it moves you closer to what to do. And I've been very blessed to understand that. And I, you know, I always would love, you know, to do more, be more, have more, experience more, but I'm very grateful for my day. My day is every day with you know, eight different companies and totally interesting people all over the world. I'm being paid, geez, 
$15,000 an hour to give advice, but I can't give advice if I don't, first of all, get educated. Geez, how much better could it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. We pretty much covered points for everybody who's listening and they're like, hey, but make I got, I'm taking notes. There's 10 of these, right? So seven is rise above mundane details, which we've, we've covered. Mm-hmm. And then eight is willingness to try new things and fail, which just as Jay was saying. So nine and 10 kind of covered nine a little bit, but number nine is maintained balance. And number 10 is stayed on top of technology. Now, a lot of people would be like, wait a minute, how did, how did Einstein stay on top of technology? Yeah, this is back technology, in the 1800s. Right? Um, talk to us about, about those two points, Jay, maintaining balance and staying on top of technology. Okay. Well, Einstein was, was really cool. He, he played music. He sat in the garden. He was hilariously funny. He had a great sense of humor and joked. He liked to cook. His favorite food was spaghetti. Uh, And staying on top of technology, I'm going to give you two perspectives on that. The first one is that, uh, you know, technology is a relative term. You know, back in whenever he was active, the early 1900s, whenever that was, technology might have been a you know two-cylinder car technology might have been uh you know the first telephone radio whatever it was and 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 it's it's an evolving dynamic process i'll tell one other thing which is a, a misnomer a lot of people think that in order to be innovative that that has to be driven by technology it can be but all innovation really is, is bringing greater benefit advantage outcome to people in ways that are not available now, in a way that uh, with my little amendment to it, they see the value of, desire it, desire it right now and only see you as the provider. You can be just, you know, you can be three slices of meat on a, you know, on a uh, three extra slices of meat and cheese that uh, you know, that are double what everyone else sells for the same price. That's innovation. Or, you know, or pickle bread instead of white bread. Or it can be, you know, it can be one of my clients is the largest, the one that gave me the car, the largest Honda Acura dealer in the country, actually in North America. They realized before COVID that they wanted to do things they called frictionless transactions. So, if you want your car service, they'll pick it up and deliver it back to you. They'll even sell you the car on the phone, send somebody out to deliver it for you. If you're not sure you want to buy it, they'll send it to you to test drive. And they've got all kinds of things like that. And that is innovation, but it's not technology driven as much as it is. You know, it is because you got a DocuSign and all that stuff. But I mean, it just a lot of, I understand a lot of implications and a lot of nuances and a lot of correlations that most people, it's not that they can't understand it. They haven't been interested enough to try to see the relevance. And these are really the drivers of growth. And if you had gone coming right back to, uh, to physics, you expand or you contract, you grow or you die, you're a multiplier or a diminisher. That's pretty much it. Love that. Okay, so Jay, I've got a couple questions and a lot of overlap of questions from the Black Diamond Club members. So something that multiple people wanted to know from you is, 
because you are a very curious person, right? I know that you have high curiosity. You read a lot, you learn a lot. What like top three books would you recommend to our audience that you think would benefit them by reading? Geez, in truth, the books that I was obsessed with in my earlier days were all marketing books and they were mostly from the 30s and 40s. I, 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 let me see if I use the right word, regrettably do not read a lot. I prefer, this is, this is leverage. I ask all my clients who are very diverse what they're reading and what the key essence is. So, uh, you know, we've got a, I, I collected because I have a very dear friend who is an obsessive reader and he basically, he reads everything from, from, uh, from Russian history to, you know, uh, to uh, military, to Marcus Aurelius, to, uh, you know, to all the modern things. I, the book that I, I really like that book range. I have, uh, you know, I like some of the books that are written. I can't remember who the guy that wrote the book about Steve Jobs and some of the other ones. He's got about five books that are good. Uh, the guy that wrote The Black Swan, that's, that all his books are fascinating. Uh, you know, fooled by uh, by uh, randomness, I think is one of his books. But I mean, I wouldn't do as much uh, a good judgment. But we do have an aggregated book list that's really cool. And if you want it, I'll have it sent, and you can put it up. And it's got the name of the book and what it's all about and why somebody thinks it's good. And I think we have a hundred or so. But I'll be happy to give that to you if you think that would help your people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're we're kind of going all over the board here, just in in this in this home stretch here, Jay, um, and and just sort of surprise questions. But there's this there's this show, this TV show, Undercover Billionaire, and right the the premise, like you know, we take somebody and we just like strip them of. I think they have like a hundred dollars, and we ask them to build a, a million dollar business. If you were starting all over today. Um, but you had limited resources. So not with the resources that you have today. You were starting over today. And also, I would love um, your insights, given the, the economic climate of the day. If you were starting over right now, what would your advice be? What would you be doing now to build your following, to build your list, to reach people, and to monetize that? Uh, well, I mean, truthfully, if I were reliving my career or if I were going to start over I wouldn't care about people knowing who I was because it's very it's very uh, low leverage I would have done more of what I did when I started when I started all I did was figure out how to use other companies resources distribution uh, uh, salespeople brand uh, inactive buyers unsold prospects and I figured out new ways to monetize and I got sometimes 50% of the profit without any of the yoke of overhead or expense or management or benefits and I was making 10 million dollars when I was 26 years old and if I and I would do two things I would structure as many strategic alliances where I found hidden assets overlooked opportunities underperforming uh, relationships and resources and monetize it and let the other company do all the work. Uh, somebody asked me many years ago a similar question and my answer sounded funny, but it wasn't. 
I said, I'd like to have the rights to everything and figure out what to do with them later. But in terms of your question about um, opportunities today, in the beginning of COVID, I was very vocal about five windows of opportunity that were available. Many are still available. I'll tell you what they are. They're not as available, but they're and they're diminishing, but they're more available today than they will be in the future. And you can still hit on them. The first one is because so many companies got devastated financially and they're, they're either starting to bounce back or they're improving to some degree, but because their cash flows down, because they suffered capital diminishment, they will never be as open as they are today. They were much more open in the beginning of COVID but as they're open today to doing deals, uh, partnerships, endorsing you, co-branding, letting you have access to their buyers, whatever, as they are, so you should do that. Secondly, there are a ton of companies that are so impaired that they're just hanging on like that. And if you can find them and they're either competitive or complementary, Complementary can mean what people buy before, during, after, or instead, and you get control of that business for no capital out of pocket, do an earnout, and you can consolidate their their structure, their personnel, get rid of the duplication. You can turn a marginal or losing business into very profitable because your buyer might buy two other things. And the people that don't buy from you would buy something else. And the example is if you were selling, um, let's take a, a, a supplement for weight loss. You could buy other supplement companies for weight loss because wherever you're advertising, you're certainly not the only one. People are buying other ones. Secondly, if you understand the weight loss market, just as a hypothetical, they typically stay on point for a short period and then they abandon it because they don't really follow protocol or stop eating or do anything. And then they go somewhere else, somewhere else. And, you know, when they stop using your supplement, they'll probably go to Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig and do portion control. And when they stop doing that, maybe they'll go and buy a Peloton. And when they stop doing that, maybe they'll go and get a a virtual or or a private uh, personal trainer. When they stop doing that, maybe they'll buy a book of recipes. So if you had all those, you could could monetize your non-buyers and buyers many more times. And so I, I think it's really worth looking at all the different companies, businesses, products, services you could acquire. The next thing, and it's not as 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 evident now, but right in the middle of COVID, one of the biggest categories that was waylaid, furloughed, terminated were salespeople because a lot of the businesses they worked for, they couldn't function in and they were used to commission performance. So you could have gotten control of all them and have them just extend uh, a revenue stream, a revenue system for you by just selling because most people don't even have a salesperson. Uh, Let's see, that was, was that three or four? That was three, four, four, four. I think it was for whatever it is. The other one that I really love still, I call it option trading, but it's not the investment. It's realizing that there are assets out there that are intangible that nobody values on a, on a financial statement. And yet about And yet they can be invaluable if you get control of them and then do something else with it. 
irrespective of whether it's your your uh, your field or not. And I'll give you two examples. Many years ago, a friend of mine came to Los Angeles after having a successful business career um, in on the East Coast, and he didn't have a business, and he wanted to do something, and he looked around, and he realized that the Rose Bowl, the the stadium they used to play the Rose Bowl, and also uh, UCLA plays at, and a couple of other events, a couple of, of uh, venues for for performers, was not being used most of the year during the weekends, during the day, definitely, sometimes at night, but uh, it had massive parking, it had great display for for uh, for exhibitors, and he realized it would be perfect for a super colossal oversized flea market. He knew nothing about flea markets, but he knew it would be a perfect venue. So he went to the county of Los Angeles that owns it. He got them to give him a contract to operate flea markets, and he gave the county a percentage of the revenue. And he had built into his contract the right to bring on um, uh, co-management after he had it papered it had renewals and everything else he went and found the number one flea market management company and he flipped his agreement to them for a half a million dollars up front and an override that was making him seven figures a year a man in Australia I can't remember what city I want to say Melbourne but I can't remember back when I was doing seminars there uh, there was a, 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 a restriction in the downtown area. You couldn't put big signs on the outside of buildings like you would see on the highway or on buildings, you know, in, in uh, you know, lesser part of, of town. But there was no provision that said you couldn't put them on the inside facing out. So he went to all the high traffic ground floor offices and secured the rights to the windows facing out the high traffic uh, streets. And when he had put together, I don't know how many hundreds, he went to the number one, uh, the number one sign company and flipped that to them for uh, a lot of front money and a little override and made a ton. But that stuff still exists, not as as strong as before. But those are a couple of them, guys. Two last questions for you, because my favorite thing about working with you are the stories, your life experience that, that you bring. But I'm gonna ask you um, one that I already know the answer to and then one <laughs> that um, I'm excited to hear you share. Um, first question, can you share with us the story? Because this is my personal favorite book that for a long time we didn't even know oh, existed. Mm -hmm. What's the story behind this book, Mr. X? I'm going to tell people if you do not, do not have a copy of Mr. X and it's not like it's super readily available, you need to find out how to get, and I don't know if Jay, you have them available, people can write in or how people get a copy of this book, but what a great story. How does this Mr. X book come about? Yeah, and and uh, do you have a lot of members in your Black Diamond? Mm -hmm. We have over 600 members. If you like, I'll give you, if you just give it to them, I'll give you a digital uh, set you can gift it to them. We sold 72,000 copies for $377 a copy. I mean, it bought my beach house all cash. Uh, the story is very simple. I had a client and it was very a very successful one, both for they and me. We took them from 300,000 to 500 million, half a billion dollars. And, and that was pretty cool. However, by the way, if I give you this, I don't want it ever to get out because we are starting to sell it again. 
but uh, it's a great book and and uh, it's it's still it's still uh, it's cutting edge. But I gave this man who was my client all kinds of access to at the time the training programs I was doing, and we had expensive books. We at that time before Mister X. We actually sold out a, a printing, uh, believe it or not, of a thousand dollar copy book. I only sold a thousand of them, but we sold it out in two weeks. It was called Stealth Marketing, and it was really cool. It was a bunch of Q and A's that came from all my consults. And when I stopped working with this man, uh, about six months later, somebody called me and said, "You're not gonna believe this. This guy is selling a book." of all your techniques for almost $400. And I was shocked and was going to sue him and, 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 and scorch, you know, and burn and everything else. And then I got a copy of it and I read it and I thought, geez, this is incredibly organized, distilled, simplified, articulated, demonstrably demonstrated every of one of my then concepts in such uh, totally actionable and 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 powerful ways that it would catalyze anybody. That's that's a little puppy beating on the door. I might have to let him in, but he uh, he did a great job. And instead of suing him, I I negotiated to pay him a royalty and just took it over and sold it myself. And I just told the story. But this man took everything that at that point in time were my methodologies, philosophies, principles rules, laws of, of business, all the things I had identified at that point. And I've evolved past it, but he basically distilled it and he did one of the most magnificent jobs. And I can tell you that because people like Russell Brunson give it to, he gave it to all his mastermind people and reprinted it. Uh, I re reprinting it because there's so much demand. So it's a really cool, it's a really cool distillation. And for its genre, it was great, but we just, we it just it was very successful and as i said it we made millions of dollars on it but it made people millions more and just as a affirmation of its value we sold 72,000 people but 12,000 of them paid an average of 10,000 to come to my seminar after they used it and about half told me that i paid for their seminar attendance from what they got out of it a hundred percent. I mean, that we you could just have just one book in my mind and just read that book over and over yep. and apply something, apply something every month and, and you will grow your business. People are very excited, Jay. Everybody is saying thank you. That's so generous of you. So in the chat, I just wanted to let you know they're very, very excited and, and thankful for your generosity. Generous, Jay. So <laughs> and, and the last question, Jay, every year we put on an event called Summer Camp. You spoke at it a couple of years ago. Um, and this year, um, we have a, a guest that I was recently speaking to, and we were having a conversation about putting together a deal because we've also learned from you to value long-term relationships. We've learned the importance of relational capital. We've learned leverage through collaborations. And so I was talking to this gentleman about um, coming out and structuring a deal so that we could create long-term value for each other. Um, and then he, he told me a story of how he met you. And I would love to hear the story through your eyes. Oh. And at the end of the conversation, he said to me, you know, I called Jay. And I actually said, you know, I didn't call Jay. I was just going off the fact of your reputation and that I, I, I knew that you were you were a solid individual. And I'm thankful to you, Jay, that, that you put in a good word. You and, for us. <laughs> and that, that individual is Steve Sims. 
oh, who yeah. was sharing about how he first met you, and it was quite a hoot. But I, <laughs> I bet it's even better through your eyes. Well, I mean, he's really a quality guy. He's he's the personification of real, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You know, he, there's nothing about him that's inauthentic. Uh, he, where did I meet? Oh, the way I told met him was really simple. Rich Sheffron, many years ago, did a promotion to his affiliates for something, and they all won something. And what they won was attendance at Elton John's um, Elton John's annual Oscar party, which has all kinds of, you know, uh, very high end celebrities. And he couldn't get everybody to use it, even though they won it, which he couldn't understand, but he had two seats available. And I, I gave them to Christy, my wife and I, and we went and it was really fun. And, and uh, it, we stayed at a real, uh, a real eclectic and, and hip hotel in Hollywood. And we were up at the top getting sun by the pool and this guy that looked like Hell's Angels comes by, and I, he was introduced to me as the guy that arranged it, and he was fascinating to me, and that was the first introduction, and nothing happened. You know, we said, hey, yeah, I have to use you, and it turns out he had one of the top, it's called Bluefish, one of the top concierge. Like, he, he did all kinds of things. He would take people down to see the, in submarines to see the Titanic, or he would get people you know, uh, married in the, in the Vatican, really cool stuff, but very expensive. And I bumped into him again at, I believe it was a Joe Polish mastermind, uh, national conference. And we talked and then we just sort of, you know, we connected and, and I found him to be just very authentic. And then I traveled, uh, to Europe with Christy and she wanted to do fun things so he got us a helicopter trip to champagne and private tours of of uh three or four prominent uh i don't know if they're called champagneries and then (laughs) one year he got us a private tour of the louis vuitton uh original house and the factory where they make everything and and I just, uh, I, I spoke a couple times for him because he's a very authentic and really cool guy. And I really like his values. And he's got really no nonsense perspectives. He's somebody, I think he's got a couple books out. I would read his books. They're mm-hmm. very interesting. But he's just really an interesting, he, he's real. He's very real. And, and if you don't have real people in your lives, friends, acquaintances, clients, colleagues, uh, whatever you call them, customers, patients, then you're missing one of the life's great fulfillments. What do you have coming up next in, in, in your world? You run, you're running these challenges to great success. You've got Beyond Exponential. I know that you are putting together a mastermind group. What, what, what are you excited about in your business today? Yeah, we're, we're, we, well, a couple things. I came up with a methodology a year ago called taking your business profits beyond exponential. And I came up with 30 different ways to do it. And I won't go through the whole thing, but it's mathematically proven you can take performance five gradients past exponentiation. And if that's true, 
my belief is why in the world would you want to operate in the incremental zone if you can operate in the exponential zone, certainly in your revenue system. And so we came up with a concept called RSO, Revenue System Optimization, which takes every facet of how you monetize your business and questions it like Einstein and challenges it and tries to, first of all, uh, optimize and then innovate because they are polar opposites. And we've done three of them and they're totally different and different groups, different uh, questions, different results, different slants that I did. And we put them back to back and we're teaching that now as a a three-stage training, which is pretty cool. We are reinstituting. I I, I think I'm going to do masterminds, but I love, you've been to the three-day, I think the three-day where it's all makeover and we get about 20 participants is our best because I think I've taken the process to a level where the breakthrough, I mean, the, the, the denominator is that by by one o'clock on Sunday, they just want to go eat, drink, and sit by the pool. There's no more questions, no more uncertainty, no more anything. I want to do a lot of that. It's very cheap. It's 25 grand, and we do that, and it's really fun. You might raise the price. We do a lot of clients now. We changed our client model, and, and, and if you have anybody watching that's large enough, we basically get a one-time fee. It's not cheap. It's 150 grand, but it's against uh, profit share for three to five years, and we only get paid on the specific activities that I create that can be measured, and that excites me. I'm doing something uh, in in New York with this person who's a hedge fund manager, and we're going to start something. I licensed my body of work to car dealers and the guys doing it have created a business that's not yet ready to launch but it's called j abraham reimagined and they've taken this breadth of stuff that i'm very deep and long and protracted on and they've chunked it down so that's exciting uh i have a it's not a big money maker but it's fun i have a mastermind group i own half of in france we're starting one in japan and i just like doing it through translation uh, I just did not t- busy at all. <laughs> no wonder you need all those massages. <laughs> I was going to say, and the acupuncture. <laughs> but that's I mean a lot. Of, I have just a lot of interesting things. I, I'm working on a a book with Roland Frazier that takes my my bedtime stories and his epic you know M and A stuff and and integrates it. So I mean that's pretty much it. Also, I have a, a really cool business we're developing with the guy that does uh, he does cybersecurity for uh, Michael Dell's family, the Gates family, the Obama family, and we're doing it low end, uh, an assessment and and monitoring service for for high end, uh, high high net worth people. So that's sort of fun. That's, I got a couple other things, but that's a start. That's fantastic. That's why we love you, Jay. Thank you. Anything else? No. That was wonderful. Jay, I know that uh, Christy probably, well, you're on the West Coast, but if you're on the East Coast, Christy would be uh, cooking that dinner. You'd be smelling that bread coming out of the oven. Yeah, it's good. I hope this helped everybody. Yes, thank you so much. As always, super generous. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know that people found tremendous value. I want to encourage everybody to plug in to Jay Abraham. If you are new for some reason, 
I don't know how you could be if you listen to Lacey and I, but if you're new to Jay Abraham, <laughs> um, make sure you check out abraham.com. You have also 50 Shades of Jay on there. You could just spend the rest of your life just consuming content there and, and, and growing your business. And then once your business is big enough, there is, we always say this, there's nothing like being in the room. So I mean, podcast is great. Transmission is great. Virtual uh, dissemination of knowledge is great, but there is nothing quite like being in the same room with Jay Abraham. So he can do this consultative work with you in person. Jay, thank you so much for everything that you've added to our lives. Yes. I'm going to, this, I'm going to plug something that doesn't make us a penny because we don't, make any offers on it we don't have any any sales rhetoric but we've done about 300 episodes of the ultimate entrepreneur and some of them are, are really i mean i you know i've got 20 20 20 uh, episodes with dave asprey i've got every keynote i ever got paid uh, you know uh, 70 80,000 to do with all the questions up there it's really interesting and it, it does we don't we don't monetize it one penny, but it's got some really cool stuff. So for what that's worth. And then I thank you all for the privilege of, of being able to contribute to your audience. And I, I would make a comment. You two are very impressive. You don't just theoretize, you do shit. And it's really impressive. And I've watched you go and I've watched you figure out how to ethically capitalize on relationships, insights, methodology and translate it both to your own business and to all the people you reach. And it's impressive. So congratulations. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Very we touching. Appreciate you. Give our best to Christy and the entire crew over there. Thank you so much, Jay. That's it for this episode of none of your business. Make sure that you subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of Jay Abraham. I know, I know that your lives are radically better because of that. Until next week, we'll see you then.